how does the study of philosophy shape pastors? Can it be useful to pastors? I'm Andy Bates. You're listening to Faith and Family. Thanks to our friends at Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Look for Concordia University, Wisconsin in the sponsor section. Joining me this morning, the Reverend Dr. Gregory Schultz. He's professor of philosophy at Concordia University, Wisconsin, and also the professor of a new course available to pastors, an introduction to philosophy course for pastors and others. Dr. Schultz, welcome to Faith and family. Thank you, Andy. Great to be with you. A privilege to have some time with you to learn more about the study of philosophy and how it may be useful to to pastors and others, and uh, and and to learn more about you and your work at Concordia University, Wisconsin. Let's go back to uh, let's go back in time and visit those early years. Uh, your earliest interest in the study of philosophy. Tell me about that, Dr. Schultz. Well, it sounds like a start for a pretty profound question, Andy, but I think it's, <laughs> it's more of a question of uh, God's steering and providence for things. So I've been in the Lutheran pastoral ministry for about 35 years. I began as a parish pastor. Uh, during my years in ministry, uh, it seemed that this was a time and place since I had um, some discretionary time here and there to uh, obtain a doctorate uh, for a doctor of ministry, actually, from Concordia Fort Wayne, uh, for the sake of sharpening up my skills for pastoral work. And then uh, right about the time that I received uh, that doctorate from Fort Wayne, I was asked to do some adjunct teaching, first theology uh, for a number of classes at our nearby Wisconsin Lutheran College. And then um, after some time, it, it developed that they really needed somebody to develop their philosophy program. So I accepted a call to that college out of um, full-time parish ministry. And then it was at that time that, um, in conversation with the college, I certainly realized that it would be important to serve our sons and daughters and others well uh, for me to get a Ph.D. in philosophy as well. So um, I pursued that with the support of that college, uh, which was a a real godsend, I think. And uh, along the way then, Um, I find myself now as professor of philosophy at our Concordia University, Wisconsin, uh, here in Mequon, just north of Milwaukee. I also have the privilege of working with our Ph.D. students down at Concordia Fort Wayne in our missiology program, and I serve with doxology, um, the the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. Now, with all of those together, um, I've realized that um, both in my own background and um, getting to serve so many of the pastors and others, that we really have a great need for education in philosophy for being Lutheran pastors. And I think to put it in short form, um, there are a lot of things that can be said, but I think that we lose a large part of our Lutheran patrimony or heritage if we don't have at least a working acquaintance with philosophy and logic. You know, so the um, the great works of Luther, let's just think of any of his disputations, whether it's Heidelberg or the 1536 disputation concerning man, the human being I'm working with lately, um, those are just pretty much um, not understandable as to what Luther's up to, at least in the initial parts of those, if we don't know some of the philosophy from Aristotle and the Western tradition. And then similarly, even right now, for us as pastors and for uh, the motivated and educated lay folks that we serve, I mean, not just formally, but, you know, readers and spe- people who ask the big questions and want to talk about things. Um, with the Gerhardt uh, books coming out, if you don't have uh, an understanding of what's going on with three acts of the mind, 
uh, traditional logic and so forth, those look daunting, maybe mysterious, and I think that may put a lot of people off from even being able to read those. So, long story short, if philosophy is properly construed the way St. Paul, for instance, teaches it in the New Testament, uh, it can be done well, and uh, we really need to do it for the sake of our Lutheran identity. The the study of philosophy, you mentioned Luther. Let's go back to that that time of the Reformation, the role of philosophy in the the church. What role did philosophy play in the church, uh, in in the Roman church? Well, in the uh, I guess we'd say the the Western church. Yeah, well, that's a that's a wonderfully long question. There's <laughs> a whole course on that. Here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's have a course on that. Um, so, how about if I just speak as a um, very committed Lutheran thinker and pastor, and pick out a couple things rather than presuming to talk about that big sure. historical question. So I mentioned Luther's disputations a little bit ago. Um, the disputations, uh, many of our pastors are, and we certainly should be familiar with the Heidelberg Disputation, uh, which introduces in a big way the uh, theology of the cross. You know, if you want to know God, the only place you can go is to Christ himself in the person and in the words of Christ, and then, of course, all of Scripture is about Christ. Um, That's the only place we find how God feels about us, um, what he is like, how he loves us, um, what he's done to save us. Now, in um, in the Heidelberg Disputation, that whole thing is shaped around um, the three acts of the mind that Aristotle taught, which would attend to clear definitions and judging propositions or statements of truth to be true, and then carrying out lines of argument. Um, So you can actually see that in the way that Luther hits the ground running uh, with the conversation, that he is is, uh, rather philosophically at home, you know, at least in terms of the logic. Maybe if I'm, I realize I'm going a little bit beyond your question, but I'm going to say too, that we've got um, what I think you may may be giving me a chance to uh, take a swing at, and that is We've got two very strong kinds of statement we're aware of from Luther regarding philosophy, right? In one connection, he says philosophy is the devil's prostitute. And in another connection, especially when he's talking about education, he says that the children need to be brought up learning Aristotle. Um, So I would take it that what Luther is doing is he's speaking, as we know he was, as a very well-educated, experienced teacher, and by the way, translator of some of Aristotle, but who knows that Aristotle needs to take a ministerial role, um, a, uh, a learning role to the authority of Scripture. So Luther uses Aristotle for the most part in service to the unpacking of the clear and in- inerrant words of Scripture. Um, so the philosophy is, what should we say, the framework, uh, the accepted academic framework in which Luther operates. I think I'm, I'm also... Uh, very willing to make the case that we need that same framework today in an in an era of uh, postmodern doubt and corrosion on the very understanding of language, which has a way of infecting our attitudes toward the Bible too. So, understanding philosophy, ha- having a, a a foundational understanding of philosophy, can be useful to pastors today. In what ways? Well, first of all, um, I think right about here, Andy, I wouldn't um, be surprised if some of our listeners are 
thinking some skeptical thoughts about where I might be headed. (laughs) Um, So we have, in the Lutheran Church, um, we have something of a skepticism. I think it's not a very well-informed skepticism, to be very honest, but we've got kind of a skepticism, even an anti-intellectual stance toward philosophy. Um, This may be because, as pastors, we routinely do not have um, major threads of philosophy courses, in some cases don't have any philosophy courses as part of our seminary training, and precious little exposure to philosophy done well in our pastoral ministries or in the areas of the church where some of us are teaching as professors. So I'm going to just jump back and take that as a question that allows me to say, why ought we as pastors and Christians and Lutherans take a good look at philosophy, and then how should we do that? So uh, a short way to do this is to remember that the, that historically, and in its uh, best aspirations, philosophy advertises itself as the fraternizing with or the befriending of wisdom. So as you already knew before we started talking, it's philosophus, which means befriending wisdom in Greek. So in the Greek New Testament, we have St. Paul with a, a very important passage. Uh, this comes from Colossians, which has become our unofficial book of the Bible in our philosophy department here at Concordia, actually. In Colossians 2, St. Paul says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, it would be a mistake to read that as if Paul is saying that all pursuit and befriending of wisdom is inherently wrong, uh, because um, if you think about it, the parallel here might be with Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount, warning us against false prophets, right? So he says, watch out for false prophets. He refers to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. And by that, Jesus is not saying all prophets are bad. He's saying that there are false prophets and that there are true prophets. And the test is for whether the prophet, of course, is preaching, proclaiming, and writing God's word, no more or less. So, back to Colossians. The hollow and deceptive kind of philosophy, according to Paul's exact inspired vocabulary, um, the bad, hollow kind of philosophy would be that which is based on the stoikia, sometimes translated the elements, that's basically the ABCs of this world. The alternative shows up in that amazing last part of the sentence, rather than on Christ. So that's the title that I've um, adopted for the online philosophy course we're going to be talking about, Philosophy Kata Christun, based on Christ himself. And then there's one more uh, wrinkle or one more addition that fortifies what Paul's talking about in Colossians 2, and that is the way Paul writes and explains his apostolic ministry in 1 Corinthians 1, right? So uh, Jews demand miraculous signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we, we apostles, preach Christ crucified, Paul tells us. And then he says, we preach Christ who is the power of God and the wisdom of God, and that's sophos, uh, as in mm. philosophy. So I, will, I have taken it uh, from Scripture that Jesus is himself the sophos that philosophy aspired to get to. Now, for the Greeks, they couldn't do that. You can't get to Christ apart from uh, the means of grace. And 
alas, they just didn't have that. But the aspiration of philosophy originally, and still today at its best, is to seek wisdom. And here he is, right? Here he is in Scripture. So philosophy can be done as philosophy kata kristan, um, which some people, I suppose, would prefer to label theology. Um, and I, I do want to distinguish here, uh, but I think that I can make the case from within philosophy why Christ is the um, ultimate goal of the philosophical project. And I can do that as a, somebody with the bona fides as a philosopher myself. So, so tell me about the, this course, the uh, Philosophy Cutta Christone, the Pastor's Guided Introduction to Philosophy for the Gospel Ministry. Tell me about this course. Well, thanks for asking. So um, the course is online. Uh, this is the second version of it. Uh, the title is Philosophy Kata Christan. That's that phrase we were just talking about from Colossians 2. So Philosophy Kata Christan, based on Christ himself, and it's intended uh, both for um, my brother pastors who are in the ministry, who I you know, would dearly uh, love to reach with some of the particulars of philosophy and, and help out our work, especially in this day and age, with better analysis and, and understanding of things, but it's also intended for motivated lay folks. Um, in the first go-around for this, we had about um, 200 folks enrolled for various levels of the online course, and it ranged from uh, quite a few of the, our brother pastors to um, university students, some seminary students, uh, professionals, doctors and lawyers in the congregation, and uh, people who, um, when I talked with them, you know, just identify themselves as you know just a regular Lutheran out there doing doing my faith. Um, so the course is set up as what is sometimes referred to as a MOOC. That usually means massive open online course. <laughs> and in a <laughs> and I hope a Lutheran tone, I I refer refer to it as a, a modest open online course. <laughs> the, the takeaway there though is that um, open online course means that it's something that our university and I are putting out there as a free help to people for their continuing education. In in line with uh, Concordia's mission um, to serve Christ in the church and in the world, right? Um, we, we're doing this so that we can get this part of, of our work out to uh, folks here and there around the world, uh, and not just our students. So did I say free enough? The, <laughs> the course is, <laughs> is completely open. And then the rough setup is this. There are six sessions which uh, gradually reveal themselves once you sign up uh, one week after the other. We're in the second week right now. And in the six lessons, there are um, basically one-hour video roundtables that we recorded, thanks to a, the gracious help of a, a number of pastors from Doxology and uh, parish pastors from our area here around Mequon. Uh, last January, we recorded these as roundtable presentations by me and then discussions with the pastors. So a person can view... Um, what amounts to a complete uh, college or professional lecture and discussion there. Those are framed with the option of taking an intro quiz just to kind of get your thinking warmed up and then to retake that quiz to see if you got some things out of uh, that particular lesson. Uh, there are no grades. I've mentioned free already, so now I should harp on that a little <laughs> bit. Uh, there are no grades, but I think we're offering some uh, very good substance here. Um, that is all backed up with 
a, um, an outline booklet, which can be downloaded as a PDF, and um, a generous, if modest, amount of resources for philosophy, including uh, three dialogues that I actually wrote um, in a Socratic vein to look at knowledge from a Christian and a Lutheran understanding. Um, so that's all there. Now, a person can take that course at his or her own pace, um, but you can also join the course at any point that this is going on. So the best way to do this would be to go to my website, lutheranphilosopher.com. Lutheranphilosopher.com, that's one, one word for Lutheran philosopher. And on uh, my introductory page where you have a little intro to me, I've put the link there for this. So if a person would just go to lutheranphilosopher.com, hit that link, you'll have a chance to register for the course. Um, that, that's your gateway into things. There's no fee there, but of course we need the uh, email information to contact and to, to deliver the course to the folks that we're trying to reach. Um, and then you can get to it. So um, within the course there are these resources, there are the videos, and a person can just, um, well, I guess surf that if she wanted to, or you can take it at um, a slightly more advanced level and do some relatively easy um, essays at the end of each of the weekly sessions and post those and participate in a bit of discussion. Or we also offer um, a badge, which uh, I guess is pretty popular with some folks. So you can go through a slightly more um, meaty version of the course with a uh, pick your requirements for short essays at the end of each week and end up with an online badge for having completed Philosophy Kata Kristan. How's that? Excellent. We, we, have, uh, we have some more time. I'd like to, to look at uh, what we would learn in one of the lessons. Could you give us a, a, an example? Walk us through briefly through one of the lessons, one of the topics that we might cover in one of the sessions. Oh, sure. So how about if I do one, and if we still have time, you can select one of the others for us to talk about. So there are six sessions uh, here, Andy, as you know. Uh, there's an opening that features um, Augustine's prayer from Confessions 1, where we've got a world-class philosopher and church father in one package, and we can begin talking about philosophy based on Christ and the Scriptures. Then session one is philosophy's aboutness, I talk about the, the original and best aspirations of philosophy and what philosophy brings to our thinking and lives that no other discipline does. The second session is philosophy's mode. I talk there about dialogue, and for philosophy, kata kristan, it's not dialogue on the horizontal only, you know, among people, but it's dialogue on the vertical, um, with God by means of his word. Session three is philosophy and language. I think that's a huge area. Um, session four is on logic. Session five is on metaphysics, a daunting term to be sure, um, mm. but that has to do with studying um, types of being, such as human being, and theories of knowledge, as in epistemology. And then finally, session six is on moral philosophy. So how about if I just... Um, reference a little bit from the section on logic. I've mentioned mm -hmm. this a couple of times already in our conversation this morning, Andy. I've referred to Aristotle's three acts of the mind. 
so in uh, the philosophy and language session, I raised the question that uh, uh, regarding postmodernism in our general culture and in education and in uh, writing and so forth today. I take postmodernism to be uh, nothing new under the sun. It's a wholesale cognitive, that is, thinking relativism and moral relativism. And I talk about that a lot in session three, um, take issue with the, uh, the major postmodern thinker, Jacques Derrida. And then in section session four, which I just promised to elaborate on a bit, I talk about the three acts of the mind from Aristotle, the very pattern that Luther and practically everybody used up until the start of the modern period. Uh, this was taken for granted. It goes like this. The three acts of the mind um, realize that what we think and what we say and what is the case are all linked together. There is not a um, separation such as we learn from uh, the teaching of modern philosophers like Descartes, who's only sure about his mental existence and that sort of thing. But in a very natural and I think obvious and true way, um, our goal is to be sure that our thinking and speaking correspond with reality the way it is. So that's the correspondence theory of truth. Now, in logic, with the three acts of the mind, uh, the practical but also vital discipline is whenever we're talking about something, whether it's in writing or conversation, our first moral obligation is to be sure that everybody in the conversation understands what the key terms mean. So whether it's in a vital conversation, I suppose, um, this always gets a reaction from my undergrads, you know, when he or she first says, I love you, it's important, <laughs> to put it mildly, that both of you understand the same thing that's meant by love, hmm. right? Um, and so, too, if we're talking about atonement or talking about um, incarnation, we have to be sure that we've explained what the terms mean before we're going to be able to have a meaningful or even a satisfying conversation. So the first act of the mind has to do with the activity of the mind that we could call understanding, and the goal is shared clarity or understanding. The second act of the mind has to do with complete sentences. For example, Jesus is both God and man in one person. That involves the mental and human act of judging things to be true. And then the goal there is, of course, to judge a factual statement to be true. In the third act of the mind, um, this is a little bit more like having a complete, well-formed paragraph, like many of us did in high school, where you'd have a thesis statement, which would be the second act of the mind. Jesus is both God and man in one person. And then you'd have to give reasons why you know that that is the case, in, in this instance, from Scripture, right? And uh, also handle anticipated or spoken objections to that statement, that proposition that you regard as true, uh, to explain by what I call minding the gap, right, between evidence and claim, why this, this is true, why this is plausible, why this is the case. So the three acts of the mind is the centerpiece of that logic section. Uh, I'm looking forward to some opportunities in the future to talking about that to some of our uh, Lutheran classic conferences and getting some more stuff up online to help with homeschooling and high school teaching there, too. Which brings me to our, our, our last question. While this course is intended for pastors, uh, mostly, you, you also mentioned 
other, uh, well, laity, uh, how might it be useful to those who are not pastors? Well, how about a first thought um, for this? When, when I'm out and about, you know, working with people out in the districts and actually here and there with some of our worldwide work, um, I find that parents and now sometimes grandparents are very concerned uh, for the faith of their kids who are going to university. Um, I think this is something that's probably shared more widely in the congregation as we see our kids after confirmation heading out and not being seen or heard from too much. We're very concerned about what's happening to them in contemporary university education. I think that this is a course that uh, those parents and grandparents could follow along for themselves. I've done everything I can to make it both accessible and to give good substance in here, you know, to make it worth a person's while. But how about the thought that they could also recommend that their son or daughter who is trying to sift through some of these things at, um, let's say, a a state university or something, um, that they would look through this too. So you could have a shared platform for discussing the importance of Christ and the biblical worldview uh, for real life while perhaps our sons and daughters are facing a a basic onslaught on their worldview in Christ in the universities that they're attending. Um, Then I think that we also have an obligation, don't we, um, always to be ready to give an answer, an apologia, for the reason of the hope that we have. It is the case that this course isn't specifically an apologetics or Christian apologetics class, but it does have that character. So it will help people to see uh, what's good and bad in thinking, to see the biblical reasons for the good, and then also to develop the habits of uh, looking to Christ and his word for uh, a good, proper, substantial love of wisdom in their lives. And lastly, again, how can we find this course, the Philosophy Cut of Christone, a pastor's guided introduction to philosophy for the gospel ministry? Yeah, thanks for that second opportunity, Andy. So um, this would be through a link on my website. The website is Lutheran Philosopher, all one word, LutheranPhilosopher.com. And I'll take the chance to say LutheranPhilosopher.com is not just for Lutherans, but it's uh, to invite everybody to see some of the very winsome uh, Christ-centered stuff that we have in the Lutheran Church to share with the world. My guest today, the Reverend Dr. Gregory Schultz, professor of philosophy, Concordia University, Wisconsin, and also professor of philosophy, Cata Cristona, pastor's guided introduction to philosophy for the gospel ministry. Dr. Schultz, thank you for being my guest today and for sharing this uh, new free course with us. My privilege, Andy. The Lord be with you and your people. 